Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Three people arrested and charged in relation to the birthday party shooting in Alabama. But the motive behind the shooting remains unclear. A possible breakthrough in the debt limit deadlock. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unveils a new plan to raise the debt ceiling and demands spending cuts at the same time. Ending federally funded abortions. That's what an Alabama senator pushed onto the Senate floor today. We'll bring you how the vote tallied up. Investigating the charges against former President Trump. A conservative think tank says the New York's district attorney's office isn't cooperating with them. We hear from the think tank's lead attorney. The Florida Board of Education approves a request from Governor Ron DeSantis to expand limits on lessons about gender identity to all grades. And the UN estimates 300 killed, but many more uncounted bodies lay out on the streets as fighting continues in Sudan after a failed ceasefire. We start with an update on the birthday party shooting in Alabama that left four people dead. Three people, including two teenagers, have been arrested and now face murder charges, Alabama authorities say. According to a news release from the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, 20-year-old Wilson Lamar Hill Jr. was arrested this afternoon and is facing the same charges as the two teens. 17-year-old Tyreek McCullough and 16-year-old Travis McCullough are each charged with four counts of reckless murder. This is Alabama. And when you pull out a gun and you start shooting people, we're going to put you in jail, okay? Both suspects come from Tuskegee, a city roughly 30 miles away from Dadeville. Authorities say the two teen suspects will be prosecuted as adults. The district attorney says additional charges are expected. But what led to the shooting is still unclear. Among those killed at the shooting was the birthday girl's older brother. All I remember is my brother grabbing me and pushing me down to the ground while they shooting. And I had um, picked my brother up and I turned him over. And I was telling him, um, I was like, you fine. I was like, you gonna make it, you strong. I was like, you, you strong, don't give up on me. 32 people were injured in the shooting on Saturday, including 15 teenagers who suffered gunshot wounds. As of Wednesday, four of them are still in the hospital and in critical condition. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Another update in a tragic shooting of teens, but some good news here. Both are recovering well. Authorities say two teenage girls in Texas were shot in a parking lot after trying to get into the wrong car. One is college cheerleader Heather Roth and the other high school cheerleader Peyton Washington. This all happened in a supermarket parking lot early Tuesday in Elgin County, Texas. Roth said she opened the door to a vehicle she thought was hers, only to find a man sitting in the passenger seat. She was trying to apologize to the man when he got out and started shooting at them. Roth was struck by a bullet but was treated and released at the scene. Washington was shot twice. She was rushed to a hospital and is now in stable condition in the ICU. Police arrested 25-year-old Pedro Tello Rodriguez Jr. for the shooting. He faces a preliminary charge of deadly conduct, a third-degree felony. 
And the abortion battle continues in D.C. today. Senators take a vote on ending taxpayer-funded abortions. And the Supreme Court holds the key to a ruling on an abortion pill. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more from Capitol Hill. Senators today sought to overturn a new Biden administration rule that allows the Department of Veterans Affairs medical facilities to perform abortions. Senators who are supporting overturning this rule say that it's illegal and an overreach of the executive branch, citing the fact that Congress passed a law 30 years ago that prohibits taxpayer-funded abortions. Furthermore, some senators point to the moral component, saying that this rule requires VA doctors and nurses to ignore their moral obligations with regards to abortions. Senator Tarbeville, who led the vote, responding to a question of mine earlier, says that no matter the trends in society, no trend trumps the law of the land. Take a look. This country offers you one, one thing, opportunity to, to be free, to make your own decisions, not to be told how to make a decision about your life. Trends don't change here. We have a constitution, so we need to go back. But President Biden has already vowed to veto this bill. Senate Democrats today voicing their opposition. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer led Senate Democrats in blocking it. And it ain't going to happen. Not as long as I'm leader. But one Democrat senator broke rank. Senator Joe Manchin, who is a longtime abortion critic, supports the GOP-led bill. While he does recognize he is the lone wolf in his party on this abortion issue, he calls on other Democrats to vote in a way that best represents the citizens in their states. If the legislation that the president wants to do in this administration, then bring it before a piece of legislation. Let's go through the process. To me, that would be the proper way to do it and see if the public supports that. And this all comes as the Supreme Court once again delayed ruling on whether or not Americans can easily access an abortion pill known as mifepristone. The justices are expected to make a ruling on this as early as Friday. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unveils a plan to raise the nation's debt limit by $1.5 trillion today, but at the same time cut federal spending by three times that amount setting the stage for a tense battle over government spending between the two parties. McCarthy unveiled the proposal on the House floor today. Would responsibly raise the debt limit into next year and provide more than $4.5 trillion in savings to the American taxpayer. The plan would cut some types of federal spending to 2022 levels and cap growth at 1% in years to come. Worth noting, it would not touch retirement or health programs. Think Social Security and Medicare. The plan would also repeal green energy incentives signed into law by President Biden last year, boost domestic oil and gas production, and scrap Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness plan. Those proposals are likely to be rejected by Biden and the Democrat-controlled Senate. But McCarthy said they would serve as the basis for future negotiations between the two parties. Washington will have to increase the nation's borrowing authority to avoid a default. The White House has insisted the debt limit be raised without any conditions. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. officially announces his 2024 presidential bid in Boston, Massachusetts. He's been an outspoken critic of pandemic lockdowns and vaccines. What's his campaign message and what are his supporters saying? NTD's Iris Tao brings us more from Boston. 
Here in Boston, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. formally kicks off his 2024 presidential bid with a two-hour-long speech. At the center of his campaign message is to fight what he calls state and corporate corruption and to heal the divide. Watch. I encouraging people to talk about the values that we have in common rather than the issues that keep us apart. I'm going to do that by telling the truth to the American people. And Kennedy is the son of Senator Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy, both assassinated in the 1960s. Despite being a Democrat, Kennedy is known for his opposition to many of the current administration's policies. In particular, he was once censored on social media platforms for speaking against COVID-19 vaccines. In the speech, he says government censorship is sowing division in the country. They have to either censor us or they have to lie about what's true and what's not true. And that amplifies the polarization. We also talked to some of Kennedy's supporters at the event. Here's what they told us. Well, the speech was fantastic. He's somebody that's going to represent the people again and bring decency, love, and honor back to politics. Good advocacy, good science, good legal system. He will bring that. He'll bring the old school democracy back. That led me to uh, uh, be vaccine free, so I feel like I owe my health to Bobby as well, personally. The 69-year-old is the second candidate to formally jump into the race for the Democratic nomination, following author Marianne Williamson. President Biden says intends to run again, but has yet to make a formal announcement. Reporting from Boston, Iris Tao, WETD News. A letter sent to Congress on Tuesday says a career IRS special agent has information on a high-profile controversial subject. The agent is reportedly alleging that federal prosecutors appointed by the Biden DOJ are improperly blocking criminal tax charges against Hunter Biden. The letter also says the agent has information about a, quote, failure to mitigate clear conflicts of interest in the ultimate disposition of the case. The agent, who is seeking whistleblower protections, has been closely involved in an ongoing and sensitive investigation since early 2020. But the letter doesn't specify the subject. Media sources say the matter is about Hunter Biden. Attorney General Merrick Garland said in recent testimony to Congress that the decision to bring charges against Hunter Biden was being left to a Trump-appointed federal prosecutor in Delaware. And a conservative think tank is requesting public documents from the Manhattan District Attorney who recently indicted Trump. NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with an attorney with the Heritage Foundation to find out more about the probe into the investigation. The Heritage Foundation filed a Freedom of Information Act or FOIA request with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office. The goal is to obtain records of communication, for example, between Bragg and Congress, the FBI, the White House and more. However, Bragg's office allegedly denied the request, arguing it was too broad. To learn more about why the office denied the request, I spoke with Sam Dewey, lead attorney for the Heritage Foundation. You know, his ground is, oh, I don't have the, I can't search my office's emails. Well, who can't search their office's emails? It's the major district attorney's office. He has to search his emails to comply with his legal obligations in cases he does. This week, the Heritage Foundation appealed Bragg's decision to deny the request. His office now has 10 days to either comply or deny again. 
Now, let's say the DA's office will make the records public. What do you hope or what do you think you'll find here? Well, what we want to see is, you know, if he's talking in the case about people outside of his office, what are they saying? Uh, you know, for example, if he's talking to Democratic members of Congress and saying, you know, we're going to get Donald Trump. How do we get Donald Trump? What do we do to get Donald Trump? You know, that raises a question as to whether or not this prosecution is political, whether or not it's appropriate. If he's asking for, you know, hey, can you give me federal files, federal resources, that says, okay, well, we need to ask about whether or not it was appropriate if he received that information. He added, it's important for the American public to see the records for the sake of transparency. I reached out to Alvin Bragg's office for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Turning to Florida, the state is set to expand a law that limits gender identity and sexual orientation lessons. The Board of Education approved Republican Governor Ron DeSantis's request today. DeSantis's parental rights and education law currently applies to third grade and under. It prevents school employees or third parties from giving classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity. The approval expands the rule through 12th grade unless required by existing state standards. Discussions about sexual orientation or gender identity could still be part of reproductive health instruction, which students can choose not to take. The newly approved expansion is set to take effect in one month after it goes through a procedural comment period. And over in Sudan, fighting continues for a fifth day after a failed ceasefire and even an attack on an American diplomatic convoy. With neither side willing to back off, some suggest the fighting could continue until one side is defeated. NTD's Jason Perry gives us the latest. Fighting continued on for the fifth day in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, where over five million people live. Many buildings have been engulfed in flames, including this nurse's residence next to a hospital. On Wednesday, residents fled their homes, carrying their belongings, trying to get out of the city. And after a failed ceasefire on Tuesday, the Sudan Armed Forces, or SAF, and the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, agreed to another 24-hour ceasefire. But they continued shooting in the city anyway. So why did the SAF and the RSF begin fighting in the first place? On Wednesday, Kenyan President William Ruto explained. Kenya is deeply alarmed that a misunderstanding over a single outstanding item in the political framework agreement, namely the time frame for the integration of the rapid support forces into the Sudan armed forces, has degenerated into violent conflict. A protest movement that toppled long-ruling dictator Omar al-Bashir four years ago demanded integrating the RSF into the SAF and placing Sudan's military under civilian control. The SAF wants the RSF to be integrated into Sudan's military in two years, while the RSF wants a 10-year timeline. The integration would cause the RSF to lose much of its independence and power, which could be the reason why they want a longer time period. The fighting between the two forces has caused millions of Sudanese people to be trapped inside their homes, running out of food and water, including these students who were trapped at the University of Khartoum for four days. On Tuesday, the SAF helped evacuate those students as gunfire and explosions could be heard in the background. 
Americans should have no expectation. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said on Tuesday that there would be no government-coordinated evacuation of Americans in Sudan at that time. But it appears one country is already making plans to evacuate its citizens. Japan, which currently has about 60 citizens in Sudan, made this announcement on Wednesday. We have been in contact with all Japanese nationals staying in the area. The Ministry of Defense has started the necessary preparations for transporting Japanese nationals. The United Nations says about 300 people have been killed in the past five days, but the toll is likely higher since many bodies are left in the streets, unreachable because of the shooting. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, we need to treat Beijing like the Marxist-Leninist regime that it says it is. That's according to China Uncensored host Chris Chappell after the arrests, indictments and a new report about China's covert operations targeting people in the U.S. And in soccer news, an autopsy of soccer great Diego Maradona said he died of natural causes in 2020. But now a court has ruled that eight people will stand trial in his death. We'll have that story and more coming up. In just over a year, Chinese police forced 230,000 Chinese nationals living abroad to return to China. This according to a report from Safeguard Defenders, a human rights organization that monitors disappearances in China. Chinese authorities say they persuaded the nationals to return to China voluntarily. But is there more going on behind the scenes? A defected senior diplomat from China tells us more. Methods used for that so-called persuasion include denying their children inside China the right to education and punishing their relatives in China that don't cooperate with the police. Chen Yonglin is a former senior diplomat at the Chinese consulate in Sydney. He says the Chinese Communist Party uses these methods often in the name of countering corruption. Chen defected to Australia in 2005. The reasoning of anti-corruption sounds justified. Western countries don't want those corrupt Chinese officials causing trouble or instability in their relationships with China. Some small countries have basically succumbed. For small countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America and Pacific Island countries, it's really easy for the CCP to kidnap Chinese nationals. Chun added that some Chinese embassy staff are actually police officers, saying they hide their real identities in order to carry out special tasks overseas. If China is trying to send public security officers to the United States, the United Kingdom or Australia, these countries won't accept them. They may monitor their activities and may not even issue them visas. But if they stay in the embassies, other countries can't control them. They can stalk foreign targets, even kidnap or assassinate them. They can threaten their family members and create all kinds of accidents. Chen says one of the most famous examples is the kidnapping of Gui Minhai. Gui is a Swedish citizen. He was abducted in Thailand in 2015 after publishing books critical of China's leaders. He's now detained in China. And joining us to discuss the regime's covert operations here in the U.S. is Chris Chappell, the host of China Uncensored. 
I spoke with him earlier today about Chinese diplomats and spies in light of the recent arrest and indictment of two men for running a Chinese police station in New York. That's in addition to the 34 communist regime officers who were also charged this week with targeting and repressing U.S. residents. Chris Chappell, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. It's great to be here. Now, the illegal Chinese police station in New York. Many people are asking, how could something like this happen right here on U.S. soil? What's your take? Well, I think it just shows what uh, contempt the Chinese Communist Party has for the sovereignty of the United States, that they felt they could establish secret Chinese police stations and harass uh, U.S. residents, people living in the United States, and get away with it. It's just phenomenal. And it's not just the United States. Uh, the story broke a couple of months ago when Safeguard Defenders, a human rights group in Spain, found that there were over 100 of these secret Chinese police stations in 53 countries around the world. So this is, the Chinese Communist Party does not respect the borders of other countries. The two men charged in the New York case are actually American citizens. Based on what you know of how the Chinese Communist regime works, how deep do you think Beijing's influence runs here in the U.S.? Deep enough that they would establish secret Chinese police stations in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's just, it's all pervasive. You see the Chinese Communist Party does not tolerate any kind of criticism anywhere in the world and it will flex whatever muscles it has at its disposal to silence people no matter where they live. China hawk Gordon Chang has tweeted saying that it's time to kick out China's spies and other bad actors which includes all or virtually all Chinese diplomats. What's the range of bad actors would you say and do you agree with Gordon here? Well, it's interesting that currently, uh, apparently, there's very little communication going on between uh, the Biden administration and China. And, you know, there's a fear that if we were to kick out diplomats, for instance, that then, you know, somehow we wouldn't be able to avert a, a crisis because there's no lines of communication. Um, but, I mean, we're already in the midst of, of a crisis if, with Chinese Communist Party showing such disrespect to the United States. And showing such aggressive actions, yeah, you know, the spy balloon. They denied that that was a spy balloon. They denied that this was a secret Chinese police station. But I think the facts are pretty clear. Um, yeah, the situation is not getting any better. And I, I think what this latest incident shows is that, you know, it's not the United States that's ramping up pressure or damaging the relationship between China and the U.S. It's the Chinese Communist Party that's the bad actor here. We're not putting secret Chinese police stations in Beijing. So We're not what putting you... secret American police stations in Beijing. So what do you think needs to be done to properly protect the U.S. from Chinese espionage? Well, I think the United States, and particularly in Washington and the media, they need to ditch this old uh, Kissinger-era engagement school philosophy towards China. The idea that if we, you know, work with China, do lots of big business with China, ignore the fact that they use rape as a form of torture, you know, then China will eventually become a democracy, uh, which I think people hearing that now realize how stupid that sounds. Um, we need to do away with that idea that we can have sober, rational conversations with an authoritarian regime that openly says it wants to destroy the United States.
we need to treat it like the Marxist-Leninist regime that it says it is. Chris Chappell, host of China Uncensored, thank you so much. Absolutely. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Former soccer great Diego Maradona died of a heart attack in November of 2020, just two weeks after brain surgery. Today, an Argentine court has ruled that eight health care professionals will stand trial in his death. A medical board previously concluded that the 60-year-old Maradona was in agony for more than 12 hours before dying, but did not receive adequate treatment and could be alive today had he been hospitalized. His autopsy showed he died of a buildup of fluid in the lungs because of congestive heart failure. Now, among his greatest achievements on the field, Maradona led Argentina to the World Cup title in 1986, a run that included his famous Hand of God goal. And in the NBA, the league has suspended Warriors forward Draymond Green one game for stepping, some might call it stomping, on the chest of Kings forward DeMontis Sabonis. The play happened Monday when Sabonis grabbed Green's ankle while on the floor. Sabonis was given a technical while Green was ejected. Now, this isn't the first playoff suspension for Green, who was famously sidelined for Game 5 of the 2016 Finals against Cleveland that assisted the Cavs' comeback. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, more playoff action. First in the NBA, a triple header as the Grizzlies host the Lakers, hoping to tie the series at one. The Bucks play the Heat in Milwaukee, looking to go up to nothing with or without the injured Giannis Adetokounmpo. And the T-Wolves go on the road to face the Nuggets, needing a win to tie the series. And for you hockey fans, four playoff game twos tonight. As the Hurricanes host the Islanders, the Panthers play at the heavily favored Bruins. The Stars face the Wild in Dallas. And finally, MVP favorite Connor McDavid and the Oilers host the LA Kings. And finally, for you baseball fans, a lot of games this afternoon, but just four tonight, but that includes two-way stars Shohei Otani and the Angels playing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, over to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.